Take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. This will probably be the last week that we'll be in the Gospel of John in chapter 9. And this whole chapter is really just dedicated to this guy that was born blind. They thought it was because maybe he, was, he sinned or, uh, or his parents sinned. They just couldn't figure out why. And um, then Jesus comes along, heals him, and they just, the, the, the religious people of the day, just, they're not excited that he could now see and be healthy and whole. They're more concerned about the origin of where Jesus is from. And now they're back on this sin thing to where, well, he must be a sinner. Well, no one could do anything. And if you're a sinner, God can't hear sinners. And so they're on this point of origin with Jesus. that They can't figure out what's going on. Um, but the one thing that we do know is that they're not glad that this guy could see. In fact, they kick him out of the synagogue. They cast him out. And if back in the day, if you were kicked out of the synagogue, first of all, this guy had probably no viable skill sets as a blind person uh, to contribute to, you know, the, the cultural, economic, or his own, um, uh, uh, you know, social uh, independence. But if you're kicked out of the synagogue, man, you are just, you're, you have no resources. And so this was like a real blow to this guy. And he didn't do anything. All he did was said, I don't know, I was once blind and now I see. Doesn't seem very fair. Um, so we're going to look at, and I think I missed a slide, Mike, so um, and my bad on that. But if you have your Bibles, turn to John 9. Half of it will be on the screen and the other half will be in your Bible. <laughs> so starting in verse 25. And he answered and said, this is the guy that was healed. Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know, referring to Jesus, because they're asking him. But he says this, one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And I'm going to make a big deal of this one thing I know at the end of the message. And I want you to kind of maybe table that as we're going to have a discussion towards the end. Table that idea, one thing. What's your one thing? What's your one thing you know? What's your one thing you want to be known about? What's your one thing that you want to still yet know? What's your one thing? This guy, think about his life. His whole entire life was lived in blackness. The first person he sees is Jesus. He's not, he's not educated, but the most profound thing comes out of his mouth. He says, this one thing I know, this one thing I know. So I want you to think about your one thing. Then they said unto him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? As if you guys have you ever seen uh, um, street magicians like David Blaine? You, you guys ever seen, like, okay, you'll know this one, David Copperfield, right? You're like, how did he do that? How did he do that? You know, everyone wants to know the, uh, the secret behind the magic, and we're not saying that Jesus is doing some sort of hocus-pocus thing here. But they're almost treating it like it was a magic show. Like, how did this happen? Uh, you know, what happened here? Verse 27, and he answered, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I think that's very interesting. Do you want to hear this whole thing again? I told you this one thing that I know, and you still can't wrap your minds around it. It must, he's, he's kind of contemplating, it sounds like you're very interested in this Jesus guy. Do you also want to be a follower of his? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. Okay, so now you have Moses versus Jesus here in this uh, discipleship showdown. Verse, uh, it almost reminds me of when Paul had to deal with the Corinthians. Remember when he said, well, some of you say that I'm of Paul. Some of you say that I'm of Apollos. And he calls it carnal because they're, they're picking their camps. They're being divisive. And now these guys are also being kind of carnal and being divisive. But they're trying to reason it out. You know, they were staunch followers of Moses. And they've really latched on to Moses. And now Jesus comes along. And um, they can't deal with Jesus. So they're going to get into geography. Verse 29. We know that God spoke to Moses. How would they know? Moses was hundreds and hundreds of years before them. They have Jesus right before their eyes. 
doing miracles that they've never seen before. They're doubting all of it, but yet they're putting all of their eggs in the Moses basket, which Moses was legit. I mean, God parted the Red Sea for Moses. There was a lot of, he opened the earth and the sons of uh, Korah fell in for Moses. Um, There was a lot of things that God was doing on behalf of Moses, the showdown with Pharaoh um, and the 10 plagues. So they're like, well, we read about Moses and we're guaranteed that that's true, but you... The thing that just happened right before us, we're not sure about that. So they asked this question. We don't know, we don't even know where he's from, as if it's a point of geography that validates someone. The man answered and said unto him, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. You could see even, even the blind guy, uneducated, very simple in life. He, he, in his, you know, unlearned state of mind, he's asking the most profound questions. He's like, I don't, why, are you, why are you so concerned about where he's from? This one thing I know, I used to be blind and now I see. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners, verse 31, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. So this is what they're saying they know, right? The, This is what they're saying. Since the world began, it has been unheard of anyone that opened the eyes of the one who's born blind. If you'll take a note, Proverbs 20 and verse 12 is a great verse connected to this thought. I think it says something like, does not he that made the the eye to see and the ears to hear, he's the maker of, of them both. So, They don't understand that the maker of the eye, the maker of the ear, is right before them, showing them who he is. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. That argument is continued also in Acts. Remember uh, when the the church is starting to grow and they they were trying to persecute the Christians and stunt the growth of the the New Testament infant church? Um, One of the, I forget who it was, he stands up and says, hey, if it's of men, it'll fizzle out. But if it's of God, you can't do anything against it. Verse 34, they answered and said unto him, you were completely born in sins and you are now teaching us and they cast him out. Look at the pride these guys have. They're saying, they know that he's unlearned um, and that they were still questioning why he was blind in the first place as either his Parents had a problem, a sin problem in their life, or he's got a sin problem in his life. And so now he's speaking with authority because think about, think about the, the blind man's perspective. His whole entire life he could not see. And all he's saying is, I don't know what to tell you guys. I used to be blind, and now I'm not. And they're, they're like, well, where is he from? He must be a sinner. It, well, if he's really a worshiper of God, then God will hear him. But, you know, well, you must be in sin. And, um, and they're back to this whole sin problem thing. And they just can't rejoice in the fact that this guy is now healed um, miraculously by the one that made the eye and the one that made the ear. And they said, and you guys, are, you're teaching us the audacity of an unlearned person <laughs> teaching them. And that reminds me of 1 Corinthians one twenty seven. Remember where God, the Bible says God will use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise? And here he is. He's using this kind of this, this simpleton um, man, uh, and he's confounding those that profess to be wise. Verse 35, this is so Jesus. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And remember what's connected to being cast out, what that means in life. It means like you probably lose your livelihood. You lose your, uh, your social network. Um, it's not an easy thing to be rejected from the synagogue. And when he had found him, so Jesus came and sought after him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? Now, Jesus, whenever he asks a question, he never asks for information as if he needs to know the information. He's always asking for a confession. He would not come to you, Rick, and just ask you a random question because he needs to know the information. He already knows. He would only ask you so you could hear you confess, right? And so Jesus is asking him not for information but for confession, and he answers and said, well, who is he? And I like this statement, Lord. So he's, he's halfway there that I might believe in him. And he want, he's open. He wants to know. 
And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Lord, I believe, I believe. And I think that's awesome that Jesus just says, (laughs) he says, I want to know who God is. And Jesus basically says, the one who's in front of you and the one who's talking to you and the one that opened your eyes is God. That's what he's saying. And the guy just, when you study the Old Testament and when any person has an encounter with God and they know that it's an encounter with God, the response is usually they fall to the ground and they worship. Peter, James, and John did that when Jesus turned the lights on on the Mount of Transfiguration. They worshiped. Uh, Joshua did that when he met the captain of the Lord of hosts. Uh, Jacob did that. Uh, Abraham did that. Uh, that Moses did that. Just study it out. When anyone had an encounter with God, the response was worship. And then it was usually like, they get up, dust themselves off. What do you have your servant to do? As a response to an encounter with God. Let's pray, and then we'll look at some thoughts, and then um, we'll finish this chapter up in John chapter 9. Heavenly Father, uh, again, just guide us uh, with your Holy Spirit. Give us the eyes of understanding. Open, as that song says, open the eyes of my heart. Lord, we want to know you, and then not just to know you for information's sake. Uh, We want to know you, to know you, but also to make you known, because you're real. And so I pray this for the church. I pray this for my life. I pray this for my family. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's one thing I know. I was blind, and now I see. I alluded to this, I think, a couple weeks ago, but I want to expand on this a little bit because I just did it in passing and I didn't have verses to back it up. But I want you to kind of see this because once you see it, and I'm mentioning the word see it, and once you hear it, once you hear it, you'll know it. If you don't already, I'm sure that you do, but let's just kind of look at some thoughts here on spiritual senses. And the reason why I'm emphasizing this is because the, the thing for me with miracles, of, with Jesus, and I said this again, but I, I need to say it again to lay the foundation for where we're going. Because he could open a physical eye, the more important thing is, is that he could open your eyes spiritually. Because he could make the lame to walk, that's good, but the bigger picture is that you would walk with God spiritually. That he could open someone's physical deaf ear, that's good, that's really good, right? These are all gifts and blessings from God. Our sight, our sound, our, our physical ability to walk, that's good. But he really wants you to be able to hear what the Spirit is saying. So if he has authority over those things physically, which he demonstrated, then he has that authority spiritually, which is the bigger issue. So let's look at this, spiritual senses. This is kind of funny. In Psalm uh, 115, and it's kind of in a in kind of a mocking way is the way I read it. Maybe I'm just projecting, but he says, Our God is in the heaven, he does what whatever he pleases, but their gods, their idols, are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths and they do not speak. Uh, they have eyes and they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, uh, but do not feel, feet, but they do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. It's much like when I go to India, and my Indian brothers and sisters will understand this, there's a lot of fruit and offerings, and there's a lot of different gods, and they're all over the world, not just India. But when there's a god or an idol or a statue, it's very funny. Not funny, it's just curious what kind of faith people put towards an an inanimate object that can't do anything. And you'll see they have eyes and hands and noses, but the, the food is still there. They don't eat it. (laughs) <laughs> they don't do anything about it. Yet, yet he says, um, that's what happens. So when I talk about spiritual senses, you can make an idol or a god with all the features, but what he's saying is they don't work. And I'm bringing this verse up on the overarching subject of spiritual senses. But solid food is for the mature. For those, because of their practice, have their senses trained for the distinguishing of both good and evil. Senses. You have spiritual senses. Let's look at this. Go to the next slide. 
So we have five physical senses, touch, sight, hearing, smell, taste. Translate that physically over to you have been born again, spiritually. If anyone's in Christ, new creation, old things have passed away, all things have become new. You had received the life of Christ. You had received the Holy Spirit. Now he comes into you. Now look at, we have eyes to see. I know you have physical eyes, but God wants to give you uh, spiritual eyes. I was, I was praying in my office uh, this morning. Uh, God reminded me of a verse that's not on the screen, and I'm like, why didn't I, why didn't I see that one? It's in Ephesians 1, 18. Um, verse 17 says that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened so that you would know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints is. That's Ephesians 1.18. But look, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one that trusts in him. The eye, Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye be healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He's talking spiritually here. Spiritual eyes. John 9, uh, 39, we didn't read that. It's the verse after where I ended in our text in John. But Jesus said, I come into this world so that the world could be judged. I came so that people who are blind could see. And he didn't heal all the blind people because he wasn't just about... look. If Jesus' ministry was based on physical healing, he wouldn't have been a success. There is a lot of people left blind and deaf and lame. But if Jesus could then spiritually open the eyes of anyone that puts their faith and trust in him, then it's a huge success. Do you see what I'm saying? So that's what Jesus is saying. He didn't come just to take care of everyone's physical problems. Their biggest problem is that we need to spiritually see. It's almost like the same argument where Jesus said, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world and could lose their own soul? What would it profit you if you had perfect 20-20 vision, perfect 20-20 hearing, I don't know what that means, um, a perfect 20-20 walking, a perfect 20-20 uh, taste and, and smell, but then you walk with your 20-20-ness off into hell, but spend eternity apart from God. What would it profit you? Is it better to have like hearing and seeing and walking and touching and smelling? Is it better to have all of that and not to have Christ? So his bigger mission was so that people that didn't see Jesus, like the hymn, you know, or Amazing Grace, uh, I was lost but now I'm found, was blind but now I see. That's his whole conversion thing. He didn't see Jesus before. Uh, was it John Newton? Is that the guy that wrote the hymn? The old cussing sailor? Um, uh, but now he could see, and he's not talking that he was physically uh, blind, or else how could he navigate a ship, um, but that he could spiritually see. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. And I came so that people who think they could see would become blind. So sight. He came so that we could see. Taste. That other verse worked well, too. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I hope you caught that. But look at verse Second uh, Peter chapter two, verse two. As newborn babes in Christ, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if so be that you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Think about it. When you're when you're a baby, a little baby, <laughs> when you're a little baby, you have all of your senses, but you you grow and you grow into them, and you learn how to appropriate them. I know we all take them for granted because they've just been gifts to us to experience life in this physical world. They're wonderful gifts, hopefully to be used for the glory of God. But think about it. As newborn babes grow, as your children grow, Nevaeh is getting a bigger cat in vocabulary. She was much easier to handle when she wasn't like... Uh, freestyling at 100 miles an hour, running around. And, you know, I loved it when our kids were just, you wrapped them like a Chipotle burrito, you know, that <laughs> can imagine as a kid, you're like, yeah. And you put them on a bed and they just stay there, right? But 
after a while they grow and they start to communicate and they start to experience things in a more tactile way and they get more interactive and experiential and more relational. That's happening physically to everyone. Your grandkids are going through that. Your kids are going through that. You went through that too. Uh, <laughs> but we're all growing and we're growing. All I'm trying to say is grow with your spiritual eyes. Grow with your spiritual ears. These senses that you have as a new Christian in Christ, as a newborn baby in Christ, if you're 80 years old and you just received Christ, you're a newborn babe. You, you might have a lot of earthly wisdom and a lot of like uh, practical, uh, you know, worldly knowledge, but your senses need to grow as a newborn. You need to grow as um, a newborn spiritual creature in Christ because you have new senses. You are the salt of the earth, the salt's lost taste. Um, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything. One cool thing about salt, I, evidently this happened. Um, when people used to travel in the Middle East, they would put salt in their pocket. And on long journeys, you know, across the desert, they would constantly put salt in their mouth because it would remind them to drink water. And there's something about salt. And I wonder if that's a trick at bars. I don't know if they do that. Um, I don't attend bars. But um, you remember when they put peanuts, salty peanuts, I wonder if that was a trick of the bar to, you know, put the salty peanuts. I mean, what, in this day and age, uh, I mean, no one would even dare touch a, you know, a, an open thing where everyone's hand has been in a bowl of peanuts. But yeah, Martha said it, it just makes you thirsty. And I think, too, like, if we're salty in our lives around other people, not in a bad way, but in a good way, maybe it will cause them to hunger and thirst for Christ that's in our life. 1 Corinthians 3.1, Paul's dealing with the immaturity of the church because they're, you know, we just read that the, the Pharisee says that they're of Moses and the blind guy said, I'm of Jesus. And in his day, they were saying, I'm of Paul. And they were saying, I'm of Apollos. And he said, I am brothers and sisters. I couldn't even speak unto you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as babes in Christ. I think Adam wants a babes in Christ ministry, to be honest with you. He's not here, but I'm just saying that. <laughs> I have fed you with milk and not with solid food, for you were not able to bear it, uh, nor are you even able to now. So taste, spiritual food. The Bible is likened unto milk, and the Bible is likened unto meat. And we're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. Look at Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Again, um, spiritually speaking, he's saying. Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I think that's why Jesus, when all of his analogies with bread and water, he said, if you eat this, you're going to be hungry again. If you drink this, you're going to be thirsty again. But when he puts himself as the object to be eaten or to be drank, where he is the bread of life, he is the water of life, you'll never hunger and you'll never thirst again. Why? Because Jesus eternally satisfies, more than a Snickers bar. I mean, eternally satisfies. Um, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried and shouted, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Could you imagine making that offer and not able to back it up? Jesus knows. Look, Jesus came from the invisible, the spiritual realm, he put on regular eyes, physical ears, physical... He put all that on. But that's not where he's from. So he speaks with total authority. We just need to believe that Jesus is ac he's accurate and he's saying what he's saying because he has full authority to speak on the issues of our spiritual sentence or uh, sense, senses. Smell. Look at this next one. This is kind of a weird one, but a powerful one if you, if you get what the, what the Bible is trying to say here. But thanks be to God who always leads us in victory through Christ, or leads us in victory through Christ. God uh, uses us to spread his knowledge everywhere like a sweet-smelling perfume. 
Our offering to God is to be a perfume of Christ that goes out to all those who are uh, saved and those who are lost. To those who are lost, this perfume smells like death, and it brings them death. But to those who are saved, it has a sweet smell of life, and it brings them life. You ever smell something really good? Your grandma's perfume. Maybe that it wasn't so good, right? Um, I, my aunt had this perfume, and I remember the car that she was in, and it was it was um, it was a hot little tiny car. And whenever we got in it, it smelled like her perfume. And when you got out of it, it smelled like her f- perfume. And when she gave that car to her kid, and he drove it around, it smelled like her perfume. It just lingered. It just lingered, and it and it reminded me of the person. Isn't that a powerful thing, that smell, what is that called, that smell recall thing? But what if, you were, what if you went into a job situation, a relationship situation, in any type situation, you left the room, and I'm not talking about a physical smell. What? You got, I don't know where you guys are going with that. Everyone's laughing. You left the room, and you left a smell. You left a Is this someone saying, pull my finger back there? I don't know what. Anyways, um, you guys, are, you're the one when I get in the elevator. Okay, I get it. So when you leave the room and it just has a sweet fragrance of the loveliness of Christ, you are the one that didn't explode during the meeting. You are the one that didn't lose your cool. You're the one that doesn't hold a grudge or you're bitter. You're the one that's not being judgmental and setting all the records straight. You're the one that's displaying the fruit of the Spirit, and it smells like the lovely citrus of Christ. It's just so fragrant that when you leave the room, it smells like Jesus. Could you imagine that? Have you ever even thought about that, really? I mean, that's what this verse is saying. It's not talking about a physical sense of smell. I mean, what kind of Chanel number, were they Chanel number 1 BC? I mean, what Chanel, they didn't even have that stuff back then. I mean, they had ways to, to, you know, make things fragrant, like myrrh, aloe, frankincense, and stuff like that. But he's talking about a spiritual scent, and you could smell it too. Isn't that something, people often use that, I smell a rat. I could smell this situation. And they're not talking about a physical smell. They're talking about something they're sensing. I bet you anything that you've been in the presence of someone that's really just loves the Lord. They're walking in the spirit and you leave that conversation or you leave, you know, that interaction with them. And, and you, there's something that smells good about that. I know it sounds weird. It sounds weird. But there's a scent that we all have. And there's a spiritual sense of smell that we all have. I'm just wondering, what do you smell like? (laughs) It just sounds funny. (laughs) What do you smell like in Christ? Hearing. These are some pretty straightforward ones. Jesus says in Matthew 11, 15, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Revelation 2, he mentions this a few times, but um, he's addressing the seven churches. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I think it's interesting that he uses it singular and then he uses it plural. Because you're sitting here and he wants all the church to know. I just read that in Ephesians uh, 1.18. Eyes of your understanding being opened so we might know the inheritance of the saints. He's saying you individually, if if you're sitting here right now and you could hear that's good, but he wants the whole church to hear. He works with you as an individual, but he also works with us as a collective body. Just think with me that Jesus would go on record to call the church a body. Think about that when you're talking about senses. And then he, he describes body parts in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. He's not talking physical body parts. He's talking spirit. We have spiritual senses. And if this is all new to you, it's because this is where God wants to upgrade our understanding of what's really going on behind the scenes. And he wants us to grow 
in Christ. And part of that is recognizing our spiritual senses that we all have. We just don't, we just don't know how to put words to it. We don't, we're kind of unfamiliar with it. 1 Corinthians 2.9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor in the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for them who love them. In the context of that chapter, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, he's talking about those that do not have the Spirit of God, they can't hear or see or understand what God's trying to communicate. But those that do have the Spirit of God, they can hear and see and understand. Why? Because you've been gifted with spiritual life, and that spiritual life comes from the invisible, and it imparts himself into the visible, and now you have these senses that you could grow and exercise to know both good and evil. It says uh, Hebrews 5.14. Touch. This is an interesting one. So the same writer of the Gospel of John is the writer of the epistle of 1 John, and he says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. This is interesting. He obviously was the one that leaned on Jesus' breast, and he physically touched Jesus. I get it. But now he's talking about handling the word of life. And I think another interesting thing, now that I think about it, is way back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned in in, um, uh, chapters 2 and 3, I think it's in Genesis chapter 3, where it says the voice of the Lord God was walking in the garden. So the voice was walking, a word was walking, and now John's saying, I touched a word. I touched the word. I touched the living word. The word became flesh, which indicates the word was invisible before it became flesh. So he's saying, I touched the invisible word. The same word that was walking in the garden. This is so interesting. It's so, it's so foreign to me, um, but yet... It's so obvious at the same time. Walk. You know, Jesus, he caused the lame to walk, oftentimes. What's our spiritual walk look like? Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Who sings that song? Amy Grant? Amy Grant? Yeah. Your word is a lamp unto my... Okay. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith not by sight. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So, I mean, if you can't, if you're confined to a wheelchair, my friend Justin that spoke here before that I was his uh, youth pastor uh, growing up, got in a motorcycle accident, he's in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. He has a dynamic walk with God, even though he can't walk. That's what I mean. Walking with God, it's not. If you have legs, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. But not everyone could walk. You know, not everyone could hear either. I forgot to mention it, but did we sing a Fanny Crosby song this morning? It's, it's bound, if you're going to go through the hymn book, you're going to hit Fanny Crosby at least one every other Sunday, right? She was, she's just the, the human penwoman of so many hymns of the faith. Deaf, she couldn't even hear, right? Writing beautiful music. But you think she heard from the Lord when she's writing those songs? Yeah. So it goes much beyond physical walk. He wants us to walk spiritually uh, in and with the Lord Jesus Christ. So those are our senses. Let's move on. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But let's go to this next... um, theme from verse 43. They said, you're completely born in sins, and now you're teaching us? So this blind guy who they were accusing, he's blind. It's like, darn if you do, darn if you, you can't win, right? He's like, you call me a sinner because I was blind. Now that I could see, you call me a sinner because I could see. He can't even win with these guys. You're completely born in sins, and you're teaching us? The teachers? You know, you're not even a student. How could a student teach a teacher Yet you're you're neither, and you're kind of, you know, uh, elevating yourself to our status or above. How dare you? So he was completely, the fact is, is that he was completely born in sins. The Pharisees were completely born in sins, and we were completely born in sins. Their theology is a little bit off, right? The fact of the matter is, is that 
everyone was born in sins. How many sins does it take to become a sinner? Thank you. I try to trick you. None. Zero. How Sinners sin because they're sinners. How did you become a sinner when you first made your first sin? Adam and Eve. We're, we sin because we were born sinners. That's why we sin. It doesn't take one sin. You're going to do one and one more. You're going to sin be. You're going to sin because you're a sinner. <laughs> and we were all born that way. Look at Romans 3.10. You'll, if you've done the Romans road or you had someone share the gospel using the Romans road, this is in it, and so is the next one. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. The next verse says there's none good, there's none that seeks after God but I didn't put that. And it's a quote from Psalm uh, 14 and Psalm 53. He borrows from that. Where he says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It's that passage. Anyways, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I put this picture on purpose. The knots help. But if there was seven billion ropes hanging down from heaven... And to get into heaven, you would have to climb all the way up into heaven, pull on yourself. How many of you did ropes in gym class? Do they still do that anymore, or does it hurt people's feelings? Because they can't do it, I don't know. <laughs> but the rope thing was like, it was so challenging, right? The big thick one, and you get up to the, you know, you try to get to the top, and very few people could do it. And that was in gym class, where it's like 20 or 30 feet. Could you imagine ropes all the way up to heaven? Now, there's some fit people in this world that take competition seriously. We just got out of the Olympics. I mean, probably anyone in the Olympics would beat, even if you're like one of the guys that slides the thing with the broom, you would probably beat everyone in here. Um, all the weird Olympic, you know, things. The archers would beat me. Everyone would beat me that's an Olymp Olympian. But there's some people in here that I may beat. I might be able to outclimb some of you. Not all, uh, but some. And you could probably case this place out, and you're like, man, I'm looking around. I'm definitely beating her. I can't beat him. Here, I could. If we're all climbing to heaven, and it's all based on our ability to do it, some are definitely going to get higher than others, but none will make it into heaven, no matter how well you train, no matter how much effort you put into it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no making it into heaven based on your own ability to get there. It just ain't happening. We all agree with that. The Pharisees didn't understand that. You know, they're thinking that they're, they're keeping the law. They're climbing way higher than this blind guy who was born a sinner, and now that he can see, it's definitely a sinner. Ecclesiastes 7.20 puts it this way. For there is not a just person upon earth that does good and sins not. It doesn't matter if you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament. The Bible is very clear. All have sinned. Galatians 3.22. But the scripture has concluded. It's the conclusion of the Bible. All are under sin. There's, that's the bad news. But here's the good news, which is what gospel means. Evangelion. It means great news, good news that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to those that believe. So he doesn't just leave you with the problem. He provides the solution, right? So all have sinned. I, I mean, if he just had known Psalm 14, Psalm uh, 53, Ecclesiastes 7.20, um, he could have said, well, Pharisees, aren't we all born sinners? Then this next thought here where they're, they're arguing about discipleship. Verse 27 and verse 28 of John 9, he, the guy says, well, it's, you're very curious about Jesus, where he's from, how he pulled it off. It seems like you want to be his disciple. If you really want to learn about Jesus, why don't you become his disciple and learn of Jesus? Because that's what a disciple means. If you're a disciple, you're a learner. You're one who follows the teaching and the philosophy of another. You're a lifelong learner under the tutelage of someone else. 
So we're all disciples of someone or something, but let's look at this picture here. They're trying to make it Moses versus Jesus. How do you, how do you guys like this super sophisticated? If I had a flannel graph, I'd whip that out too. But they're trying to make it Moses against Jesus, and they're not incompatible. Moses said, there's going to come one after me that's like unto me. Him listen to. Moses said that in Deuteronomy 18. He wasn't anti-Jesus, and Jesus wasn't anti-Moses. <coughs> Moses was just the shadow, and Jesus is the reality. Moses was the picture. Jesus is the person. So why settle for the picture when you could have the person? And so they didn't know that. They're like, well, you know, we know about Moses, really. How well do you know about Moses? He's hundreds and hundreds of years before you. The person is right before you, born of a virgin. Start there. They were, in his, they were contemporaries of the lives and times of Jesus. He was born of a virgin. Anyways, um, so Jesus is the reality. Moses was just the picture. Don't settle for something less than Jesus. Um, so Jesus is not only our teaching or our teacher, he's our very teaching himself. And so as we're growing in our spiritual senses, we're learning of Christ, the reality of who Jesus Christ is. He was the word that John said he touched and felt that became flesh. And then he was crucified. He uh, was buried, rose again and ascended and said, I will come and make my abode in you. And as he's living in us, what's he doing there? What's he doing there? What's he doing there? It's hard to be disciples of two masters. We'll either love the one and hate the other. We can't serve God and something else or someone else. It, it just doesn't work. That's what, it's not on the screen, but Luke 16, 13, if you're making a note. And it says it again in Matthew, and I forget the one in Matthew, but I have the one in Luke here in my notes. No servant can serve two masters, Jesus says, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and something else. So to be disciples of Moses and Jesus is just to, like a legit disciple where you worship one. You can't worship them both and be fully 100% committed and devoted in a, in a worshipful sense to them both simultaneously. Show me someone who is a religious Self-righteous, rule-keeping, Moses-following, law-observing, disciple, and I'll show you someone that's miserable, unhappy, judgmental, competitive, unmerciful, bitter, and just no fun to be around. <laughs> Those are your disciples. I mean, think about the Pharisees. Those are dudes you want to hang out with? I mean, how fun are they? And yet, they don't even care that this guy could see. They don't, they're so concerned about the discipleship with Moses and the rejection of Jesus and the rejection of what they can see, these guys could see, but they, they're blind. They have physical eyes, but they can't see the reality of Jesus right before them. They're blind and they're angry and they're like manipulative and they're kicking this guy out for no reason. What did he even do? Start seeing and it wasn't even his fault. It wasn't his fault that he was blind and it wasn't his fault that he could see. Poor guy. <laughs> but we have to choose this day whom we're going to serve, either Moses or Jesus. Look, here's the thing. We learn from Moses in the Old Testament, but we don't live under Moses in the Old Testament. We learn, but we don't live. You get the difference? This isn't an anti-Moses campaign. This was happening so often in the, in the New Testament formation in the book of Acts. You'll read about this. They're, they're throwing accusations against Peter and Paul. They're saying, you're discrediting Moses. You're making the temple irrelevant. And they, were, they would rail against them as if they were running an anti-Moses campaign. They weren't. All they were talking about is that you don't live under the old covenant law. You live under the Lord. There's a difference. And you've got to choose which covenant you're going to live under. And if you try to do them both at the same time, you'll be confused. And you'll be miserable. I've tried it for years. It doesn't work. Maybe you have too. Just some, just some thoughts on that. Romans 6.14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law but under grace. Paul already knew what they were going to say. 
Well, if you're not under Moses, people are going to freak out and do whatever they want. They'll never come to church. They'll never pray and read their Bible. They'll never do anything, you know. Uh, and he says, well, what? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. God forbid. Because we're under the Lord. It's not like we're lawless. We're under the Lord. We're in the Lord. We're, we're spending life together with the one who wrote the Ten Commandments. What, do you want to have a relationship with tablets of stone that lives outside of you or the one who created them that lives inside of you? You tell me, what are you going for? Stones? Rocks? So some people settle for the rocks and the, 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 the shadow uh, rather than the substance and the Savior. Galatians 5.18, but, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're under the Lord. And what's the Spirit of the Lord in you going to lead you to do? What would that look like? Well, I guess you just have to try it out. Verse 37 and 38, and we're just going to wrap this up here and, and turn it over to some discussion. Says you, Jesus says, you have both seen him and heard him. And then the guy responds, Lord, I believe. Since this blind man was born that way from birth, not because he sinned or his parents sinned, the first person he sees when he could physically see is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, we don't have the privilege of being 2,000 years back in the time of Christ, and we did not see him, yet we see him and hear him today. This reminds me, though, of Doubting Thomas. Remember Doubting Thomas? He said, unless I see him, I won't believe. Remember he said that? Unless I put my hand, I saw him crucified, put my hand in the, in the, in the hole and in his side, I'm not going to believe. And I don't fault Thomas for saying that. I know he gets a bad rap. At one point, Here's, here's the doubting Thomas, the, everyone that bags on him. They said, um, Jesus, the other disciples saying, Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill you. And Thomas says, I'll go with you. That doesn't sound like a doubter to me. It sounds like he's strapped and ready to roll, right? He's going with Jesus. So he's just, he's just kind of working things out in his own way. And you're free to do that, you and God. So John 20, verse 29. I think it's up on the screen here. Jesus said in him, have you believed, Thomas, because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now, I want you to notice the top. It's blessed to not see and to believe. Look at this next slide here. Psalm 78. Psalm 106, Psalm 78 are great chapters to summarize the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, when they came out of Egypt... The Red Sea parted. They came to the Jordan. The Jordan parted. They saw the giants in the land uh, beat by the Lord. I mean, they saw manna from heaven. Remember, they're in, the, they're in the desert, and they had cattle they're bringing, and the, the couple million people that were traveling. That's a logistical nightmare. Could you imagine your Yeti um, ice chest that you spend $500 on? You're like, my water's the coldest in Israel because I got a Yeti. And you're bringing your Yeti. How much Yeti water do you need for millions of people in the desert? And God supplied a rock, and you, you have this rock, and then the water comes out? That's crazy. That was my shoe, Martha. Anyways, um, trying to be a sweet-smelling savior for Christ. <laughs> but in spite of all this, they still sinned. And this is a summary verse, because he's saying, because he just said, they saw this, they saw this, they saw that, they see this. And the, in spite of all that, despite his wonders, they still not, they did not believe. So I put up the title there, it's blessed to see and not believe. So they had the blessing of seeing it, but they still didn't believe. And what Jesus is saying to Thomas is, look, blessed are they who do not see. We didn't see any of this stuff. We didn't see Jesus rise from the dead. But he says, but yet they still believe. That's a blessing. Why? Because that's pure faith. We didn't see any of this stuff. And yet we believe. So in wrapping this up, I don't know about you, but I'm like the disciples who often said, Lord, I believe. I go to this next slide, but help my unbelief. Mark 9, 24. Anyone ever pray that? Lord, I believe. I believe. I do. I know I'm born again. And that only took a little tiny size of a mustard seed. 
Lord Jesus, I believe. Come into my heart and save me. Boom. I, I didn't know. I didn't know anything, really. I didn't know. Little tiny thing. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I think part of helping my unbelief is, is getting, he's getting my eyes to see spiritually. He's getting my ears to hear spiritually. He's getting me to smell spiritually. He's getting me to taste and see that the Lord is good spiritually. He's getting me to take one more step. What does is, what is the famous Buddhist say? The, the path to a thousand miles begins with one step. He's just one more step rip off from the Bible because we're walking by faith. Just taking another step by faith. Another step by faith. I believe, Jesus. I'm a believer. But I don't, I'm, a, I'm like a baby when it comes to my spiritual senses. I believe, but help my unbelief. Right? And maybe that's you as well. So I said I would circle back to it. What's your one thing? What's your one thing? This blind man says, this one thing I know. This one thing I know. He didn't go to school like the Pharisees. He wasn't able to read any books. There was no Braille Bibles. Martha, they didn't have Braille back then. There was no audio books on Kindle, right? He had no access to education. He's a very simple person who had a handicap his entire life until he met the Lord Jesus. And his one thing, he's like, this is, the one, this is my one thing. He doesn't have a lot of things to offer, but he has one thing. He has one thing. He didn't know the biological reasons, the theological reasons, the physiological reasons, the psychological reasons. He didn't even know the practical information of how it even happened. He didn't know anything. But he says, this one thing, I have one thing though. And that totally rocked the religious intellectual elite of the day. God totally used a foolish thing to confound those that think they're wise. And he just had one thing. And he stuck to that one thing. So when we die, put the next slide up. <laughs> your name. Yeah, your dash. If you were defined by that dash, what's your one thing? What's your one thing? We're all, we're all going to have a funeral. Jerry even mentioned it in Sunday school. You know, no one escapes death. We're all going to, unless the rapture happens. Um, but do we even believe that, really? I mean, come on. I'm kidding. Come to Revelation on Sunday nights. I'm trying to get you to think, like, yeah, I believe, but help my unbelief. I know it theologically, but help me to see it spiritually and really believe it. But when we die, we're going to have a dash. If you, if, I mean, some people will not have a tombstone. I get it. This is just more traditional. But what's that one dash represent? What's that one thing in your life? For the blind guy, that's one thing I know. Only one thing. I got one thing going for me. I was blind, now I see. And it's in the Bible for all of eternity based on his simple one thing. So here's what we're going to do for the next five or ten minutes. Find someone who you did not come with. Um, and let's take about five and ten minutes and discuss these questions. And these questions are these. What does growing our spiritual senses mean to you, and what does that look like? What is our one thing that we're really passionate about, that we are defined by, and why? Why is that your one thing? And there's no right or wrong answer. All right? So ready? Let's meet at like uh, 20 after. Break. Maybe play some music in the background. <laughs>